Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Good to see each of you here. If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5 as we continue our series as we study through the book of Romans. So glad that you've joined us as we worship our great Heavenly Father. My name is Aaron Varner. I have the great privilege of being the senior pastor here. If you're visiting with us, we're really, really thankful that you've joined us today. It's good to have you. Um, as we um, continue today, I just there's a couple things I want to point out. First, uh, as Pastor David mentioned, uh, our um, two restrooms and our education wing are being remodeled. Those are different than the, 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 the facility improvement project. So those two restrooms actually are already paid for. Um, the preschool in Montrose was given a grant by the state um, to do some improvements to the facility. And, uh, and they came to us um, last year and said, hey, we can go for this grant and get these funds. What would you like to do? And so one of the things that we said is, hey, um, these two uh, restrooms would be really nice to be renovated. And, uh, and so they were given that grant and we... Uh, they gave those funds to us, and so we, uh, we, we've already paid for that project. God's already provided in an awesome way, which is really, really awesome. And so we praise the Lord for that. And so I just wanted to say that publicly, so that way you're not like, uh, wait, we're, we're doing restrooms down there now? Wait, what about these restrooms? Um, these restrooms here are a little bit more uh, in-depth in what needs to be done. And, uh, and so we, we, it's going to take a lot more mainly just to say, and that's why we've come to you as a facility project. Um, and so we ask you to continue to keep praying and looking forward to how God's going to continue to provide so that we can dig into that and start building our storage room uh, and then move all of our stuff out of that storage room that we have now. So that way our restrooms can expand and be updated. Uh, the second thing is, is um, uh, Pastor David, I'm actually going to share three things. The second thing, Pastor David talked about Skyview, and I just want to give you an update um, there were 11 children who accepted Christ as their savior last week at Skyview Ranch. Isn't that awesome? We praise God for that. And that, that impact along with not only their souls being saved for those 11, but countless other decisions being made to study God's word, to read God's word, to go home and these kids to, to be on fire for the Lord. And, and it was just neat to see uh, some of our own kids. We went down, Lisa and I uh, went with Bernie and Georgia, and we took Keegan down so that he could catch a glimpse of some of the ministry down there. We like to do that with our interns so they can catch a glimpse of Skyview and the ministry. And it was just neat to see our own kids, the, the three girls that were down there, and Anna and uh, Gwendolyn and Kaylee that were down there, and they were just having a blast and just loving it. Uh, and then, uh, and then Zach got to help out with his big sister, help out Lene. Uh, we were sitting there having, uh, having dinner and, uh, I knew Zach was helping in the kitchen with, with Marissa and he was giving cookies. I don't know how many he put in his pocket as he was giving out cookies, but, uh, all of a sudden I look out and I see this truck, uh, this blue old truck that they have on, on the ranch. Um, driving by, and I see this kid in the back of the the truck, uh, and I'm thinking, man, that truck's going fast, and and he looks like he's going to fall out. Like, and then it dawns on me, that's my son, that's in the back of this truck, and he comes back later. He's like, yeah, Lene was driving, 
<laughs> I'm like, she was going way too fast. And so uh, just need the ministry down there and thankful for Pastor David preaching the word and, and God's word will not return void. And we, uh, we are just so grateful. I, I get so excited to think, man, 11 children committed their life to Christ this last week. That, that, it gives me chills. It, it's a life change. And that's why we love Skyview and the ministry there. The third thing that I just want to mention is I know we've talked a lot about Father's Day, which I want to say publicly, happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers. I also want to acknowledge and say, I know that some of you sit here today and when you think of your father, it's not a good thing. All right. It's a very challenging thing. It's a hard thing. And I just want to say publicly, I, I acknowledge that. I understand that. And, and I know it may bring back feelings or thoughts because your father wasn't a good father. And I just want you to know that you're loved and that there is a perfect heavenly father who do, does tremendously love you and he cares so much for you. And so we're glad that you're here and we want to help you walk through that. And so if this is a challenging time, don't be afraid to talk with somebody. Uh, I, I want you to know that we care for you and love you. I also want to take a moment and just acknowledge Dale and Wilda Scarborough. Dale and Wilda today, they celebrate 68 years of marriage. <laughs> 68 years that Wilda has been able to put up with that pain in her neck, she says. Um, and then uh, John and Mary Kay celebrated just uh, a couple of weeks ago, 61 years, right? 61, congratulations to you guys. It's kind of like birthdays. I won't acknowledge your birthday unless you're above 90. Uh, if you get 60 years in for an anniversary, we'll acknowledge you, okay? Um, but man, how awesome it is to have two great couples with us that love the Lord and that love each other. And we're so thankful for your commitment to each other. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you ready to dig in the word this morning? Romans chapter five. I decided not to take all of chapter five this week because I didn't want to give you the whole pie. All right. I'm just going to give you a little, little spoonful of the pie. All right. We'll see if it's cherry or apple or maybe it's chocolate peanut butter. I don't know. That's my favorite. That would be awesome. Hopefully it's, uh, it's good for you. Good for your heart. Good for your soul. Uh, if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to read Romans chapter five and the first 11 verses here. Romans chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. If you have the word, I'd encourage you to open it up in front of you. It'll also be up on the screen for us. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it this morning. And as we dig in here, Lord, we just pray for your spirit to move in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, may we allow you full access um, to who we are, that your spirit may convict us where we need convicted, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, that you would lift us up in those areas where we've fallen. And Lord, may we turn our eyes and fix our gaze upon you and to see who you truly are and how much you really love us. So Lord, bless our time together in your word and may you be glorified. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Today's passage and this sermon is entitled Peace with God. Peace with God and Paul starts this section with this word, therefore. Therefore is a term that you should always ask yourself, what is it there for? Okay. Therefore, what is it there for? And it's kind of a two hinged gate. All right. It's kind of like you're walking into the kitchen uh, of a restaurant and it's one of those doors that swings both ways. You need to go back and see what was written, be reminded of, because the writer is talking about what he just stated, and then he's going to make a point on the other side of it, all right? And so it's this hinge, all right, that, he's, that Paul is trying to make an emphasis. And so I just want to review with you really quickly. I'm not going to preach the last uh, four chapters, all right? I'm not going to redo those, but I want to review for you where Paul has taken us. And ultimately, in chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes about God's wrath being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of man. So the wrath of God is poured out upon what? Ungodliness and the unrighteousness of man. And Paul makes a case of who that is. Yes, it is the Gentiles, all right, chapter 1, who God has given over to a debased mind, but it's also the Jews, those who even criticize that kind of living because they are making those judgments even though they are living that same life. And so he says, listen, the wrath of God is going to be is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against the unrighteousness of man. Chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 21 says, God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law. So he's trying to help the Jews to understand you can't obtain God's right standing, all right? Because all of you, again, God's wrath is poured out against your unrighteousness. God's righteousness can't be obtained through the law. And so he makes this case. It's not about circumcision, all right? It's not about keeping the law that you're going to obtain or that you're going to be granted God's righteousness. So chapter 3, verse 21. Verse 22, he says, The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Remember, it's not just for the Jews, but for all those who believe. And what do they need to believe? That uh, On Jesus Christ. All right? It's about Jesus Christ and what he did. That's how God's righteousness is granted to somebody. It's not through the law. It's not through keeping this list and these rules, these regulations. And then chapter 4, verse 24, he says this, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised him from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
So we've trespassed, we've broken the law, all right? We've not kept the law, we've sinned. And because of that, it will be counted to us who believe, who have faith, what do we get? We get forgiven, all right? We're delivered from that, but also he states there in Romans 4, verse 24, that we are justified, meaning that we are declared right. It's a courtroom term that says you're guilty and you deserve to be punished. But because you believe in Jesus, you are declared right. You're no longer in wrong standing with the court. You've been justified. And so as Paul is writing here in chapter 5, he's saying, therefore, because it's God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness... Your faith or your, your belief in the law is not going to grant your standing right with God. Your account is still in, in need. But if you do believe, God will justify you. He will declare you right. And so he says this in chapter 5. It, it's, a, it's a change now. The first four chapters kind of go together in this book. And now chapter 5, he's going to start addressing some different things. Chapter 5, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. He's already made the argument of why we are justified by faith. That's in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Since we've been justified by faith, what does he say? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just pause there for a minute. Why do we need peace with God? Well, remember, go back to chapter 1. What's Paul written? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So God's wrath is being poured out or will be poured out upon sinners, upon all of us. Because Paul writes in chapter 3, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But... Since we've been justified by faith, not by our works, our works prove our faith, they show our faith, but since we have been justified, declared right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. I don't know about you, but this is, this is something deep. And this is a deep truth that is really hard to get through, at least my thick skull, all right? As my parents used to tell me that I have a really thick one, and thankfully my wife is very kind and doesn't use that term too much, but to think about the creator God who's perfect in all of his ways, all right? We get so self-centered and are so self-focused. You, you've been concerned about getting up this morning and your plans and everything else. We just tend to focus on ourselves and what we do. And sometimes it, it, when, we, when we stop and when God slows us down and we pause, sometimes it's just being out in, in, in God's creation. For me, that's when I get to kind of get some clarity. When I'm sitting at a lake and I just see this beautiful lake or, or these mountains. So I was talking to some of the ladies this morning like in Guatemala to see those mountains and how awesome the splendor of how huge they are. It's amazing. But it helps put, us, put our lives in perspective we're just kind of like a little ant on this earth. When you think of the bigness and the vastness of who God is, God is this great creator 
who made us and formed us and fashioned us in his image. And he desires to have a relationship with us. But as we're going to look at here in just a moment, there's serious problems that we have with our creator. When we're born, there's a great divide between us. And so Paul is writing here from the very beginning of this chapter. And he's like, listen, you have peace with God. And he's going to build around that. How could that happen? How could you have peace with the creator who is perfect? Because you're not perfect. And ultimately, it's by faith as he's been building upon in the first four chapters. And so we have peace with God. And as we see this, uh, we, we see this in the next few verses as he walks us through. How do we have this peace with God? And what does it look like? And, and he's going to walk us through where we were and the terms that come along with that. And then some of the terms that he will use is what has God done to us? Because we couldn't do it. And because God has done those things, we do have peace with God. So let's walk through this, okay? Um, I'm actually going to skip verses 2 uh, through 5. We're going to come back to them. But I want to skip down to verse 6. All right, verse six says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice how he talks about us. We're, we're weak here. We're weak. And what's the other term? Ungodly. For while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Again, Paul's already made the case. We're all on the same ship, all right? We're, we're all going down with it. There's not anybody who's escaped this. We're all guilty of sinning and, and breaking uh, God's perfect standard. So he defines us as weak, as ungodly. Verse 7, he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. I love his little footnote here. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. It's like, okay, are you going to die for somebody? You might die for somebody who's doing what's right. Somebody who you uh, admire because they stood up and you're like, yes, I will stand with them. But would you really, like you may have the courage to do that, but would you really go to that extreme? And then verse eight, but God, but God shows his love for us while we were still, what's the term that he defines us as? sinners, all right? In our world today, in our culture today, we don't like using this word. Don't call me a sinner. Actually, it's been several years now, but I had a funeral that I was preparing for, and the family members told me, hey, don't use the term sinners when you get up to give the service. So I just called them all disobedient <laughs> because that's what we are. Like, really, the, like, we have to start with the truth, and we've got to start there. It's not that we're all good, and, and we just need a little bit more help, or, or we're not really that bad. No, we are. We're sinners. And, and Paul, as he writes in verse 10, he says, for while we were enemies. This is how Paul is defining where we start. This, this, is, this is us, and here is God, and it's such a contrast. You're weak, you're ungodly, you're sinners, and in fact, you, you are enemies of the creator who put you here. But he doesn't leave us there. 
as he, as he shares this, he intercedes uh, and puts together this great work that only God could do. So let's go back and look at verse 6. For while we were still weak and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then if you jump to verse 8, but God showed his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Twice, Paul repeats in a very short time, Christ died for us. Verse 9, there, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, because of his death, we've been justified. Again, that's that legal term that we are declared right. Even though we were, what, weak, ungodly sinners who missed the mark, we were enemies through the blood, we are justified. We are made right before the almighty God. Let's continue. Verse 9. Now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved. It's a term that we used to use back in, you know, the 80s and 90s. It became, you know, it was popular back then. And then we gotten away from it because we're like, what are you saved from? I think we're a little scared to say that we're saved. We are saved. And that's where Paul defines this in Romans chapter 5. What are we saved from? We're going to get to that in just a moment. But I already gave you a glimpse of it from chapter 1. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin, he took your place, that he died and was buried and rose again three days later, you've been saved from the wrath of God. That's what Paul is writing here. You've been saved by him from, from what? From bad things? No, that's not saying it's bad things. From the wrath of God. And this is a beautiful reminder for us as Christ followers of the propitiation of Christ. It's a big, long term. And as a kid, I loved saying it, but I never under, really understood it. That term propitiation means that Jesus Christ took the full wrath of God upon himself. So when Jesus hung there, not only did he justify me, he took my place in that the wrath of God that was owed to me, the wrath of God was poured upon him. And that's where Paul is writing here, the wrath of God that is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, that wrath of God you've been saved from. What an, uh, an amazing concept. That the wrath of God that you deserve, because every one of us deserves it. Every one of us deserves the full punishment that Christ took on our behalf. But Christ took it, and he saved us from that wrath. We see throughout the scriptures what that wrath will look like. You read through the book of Revelation, and I know some of you, that scares you, and some of you don't even want to think about it. The beauty of reading through Revelation is what God has saved us from and which should inspire us to live in such a way that helps share that love of God that he's poured out on us with others so they don't have to experience the wrath of God. But the wrath of God is coming against mankind. For us as followers of Christ, it's already been taken on our behalf. What a beautiful picture. We've been saved. Even though we were weak, 
meaning we couldn't do anything to fix ourselves. All right, we were ungodly. We didn't pursue him. We didn't have any quality that could bring godliness. We couldn't do that. We were sinners. We missed the mark. And we continue to miss the mark. And in fact, we were enemies. And yet here, God, he has died for us. He has made us right in his standing. And he saved us. Verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's that term saved again. Much more than that, verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we see this term saved, and then we see reconciled twice, and then we see this term uh, saved again, and then reconciliation on the end. What does all that mean? To be reconciled with God means to bring back the relationship. So God, when he made Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden and he had relations with them. They walked in the day and in the coolness of the day, God would come and meet with them. When Adam and Eve chose to sin and rebel against God and what he had told them not to do, they did do. They sinned against him and that fellowship was broken. God was still there. God still loved them. He still talked with them. He still provided for them. But that fellowship was hindered. And ultimately, that sin nature that was passed from Adam, which we're going to look at the rest of this chapter. All right. You can read it and study it this week and come prepared next week for our time in, in, in Romans 5, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Through Adam came sin. And that relationship with God, then because sin was passed down, we were apart from him. There was this gulf and there was no way to restore that in and of ourselves. What Paul is writing here is we've been reconciled. That relationship has been brought anew. It's a very, uh, where justification is a legal term where you are declared right. It's proof. It's like having a stamp that says, no, this is right. This is, this is, this is what is true of you. You are, you are not guilty or the punishment's been paid. You no longer owe anything. Here is a relational term of reconciliation of being brought back. Things have been restored. And Paul is writing in this relational aspect. And again, it all points back to what? That we have peace with God. We were weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. Christ died for us. We are justified. We are saved. We are reconciled. Hey, just so you remind yourself, remember, you've been reconciled and you've been saved. And you've been in this process. You have this opportunity of reconciliation, which he will build on later on his letter, of what our job is as we live out our lives. Not only am I reconciled with God, but we are called to be reconcilers in the world. So we have this peace with God, and he says, we rejoice. This is a term that we actually see three times in this short passage. Look back in verse 2 now, if you would. Through him, through who? Through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we just looked at why. Because of what Christ has done for us. 
But he doesn't finish it there. Verse 2, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now that term hope is different than how we hope. All right. Uh, I watch a, the Guardians hoping that they'll win. <clears throat> you guys are laughing. You know what happens. All right. Uh, we don't even win half of our games right now. But hopefully right? Hopefully, there's that term, hopefully they'll start winning even more and they'll win two out of three and then win maybe a series here and they'll keep improving. As Browns fans, we always hope. Sometimes maybe you're, you're even, I, I, I think of this uh, this time of year as couples are getting married and they're like, I hope I'm making the right decision. There's this this desire that, man, I'm really unsure, and I'm just wishing, in a way, wishing that this is what the truth is. This term that Paul says that he shares here three different times, it is not a wishing of hope, a wishing that things will transpire. It's taking it as a fact. It's claiming it as truth. So he's saying I'm claiming this as truth. So when he writes this about the hope of the glory of God, he says, we rejoice. And again, if you go back, some manuscripts, this is a little manuscript trouble. There's uh, hundreds of thousands of manuscripts. And when you look at the manuscripts here, uh, some manuscripts differ. It doesn't change the meaning of what, what Paul is writing here, whether you take the older manuscripts or the newer manuscripts. Ultimately, it's one is saying we need to rejoice or we do rejoice. Both of them really ultimately mean the same thing because we need to claim it. And ultimately, Paul is saying here, I'm claiming in the hope of the glory of God. I'm claiming the glory of God. I have this glory, the doxa, Greek word, we sing doxology, this doxa, the beauty of who God is, I'm claiming that as my own. It's not wishing, not hoping, oh man, I hope, I hope that I can claim God as my own. No, Paul's like, listen, you have peace with God. You can claim this. We rejoice because we claim this. We have this hope. It's a fact. And so we rejoice, ultimately, verse 2, we rejoice, number 1, in hope, all right? Number 2, verse 3 and 4 tell us what, what to do. Not only that we rejoice in that, what? In the hope of the glory of God, that we get to experience the glory of God with us, but we do this. Not only that, we rejoice in our, what does it say? Our sufferings. Our sufferings. How many of you would say, yeah, I rejoice in my sufferings. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith may produce endurance. Kind of equating here, the writer of James, I think, kind of pulls here from what Paul is writing in Romans, where they're really saying kind of the same thing. And what they're saying is that we can rejoice. Paul is writing and saying we can rejoice in the hope that we have in the glory of God. But we rejoice also in our suffering. Because what suffering does, it's extraordinary. Which only God could do. He takes our suffering and in that he builds our character, he says. 
And through that character, it's produced because of the endurance that we learn. So we have this suffering, and you choose in your mind right now, you got a thought, okay, what? remember this time when I had to suffer, right? I had this suffering, and as I walked through that endeavor, I learned endurance. So I learned to keep going. I learned, even though it was difficult and I wanted to quit and I wanted to give up, that I endured and I kept trying to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And God saw me through that. And through that, God was building in me a character quality that was more than what I had before. That I wouldn't have had without this suffering. But because the suffering came and it was out of my hands... And I chose to keep working through it, even though I wanted to quit and abandon everything. I kept working through it. So God did a work in me, and he started revealing to me some different things about not only who he was, but the character that he wants me to live out. So this idea of rejoicing and suffering because of what it brings, it brings endurance. And through endurance, it brings character. And through character, what does it bring? Hope. So it's like this full circle where we rejoice and hope, the hope of the glory of God, ultimately because we get to see our God and we get to trust him. And as he's living this out, here's the example. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we can see that God is a perfect and loving and gracious God. We can trust him no matter what and put our hope and confidence in him because he's already done the work. He's proven that he's worthy to be trusted and to be followed because he's made me right with God. And so I rejoice in this. Now jump down to verse 11 because he doesn't just end here with rejoicing. He goes down to verse 11 and he says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we rejoice in hope, we rejoice in the suffering, which produces endurance and endurance character and character hope, which comes back to rejoicing in hope, this confidence that we can have that God's in charge and he's working. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our confidence comes because of what Christ has done for us. Because Christ, we have through him received reconciliation. Our relationship with God is made right and restored because of what Christ has done. I can go to God because of what Christ has done. And I rejoice over that. So Paul's writing, listen, you have peace with God and you could rejoice. You have something that's extraordinary. While you were lost, he gets to chapter 5. He says, I want you to understand the gift that you've been given. You've been justified by faith. God has made you right in his eyes. God's love has been poured out into our hearts, verse 5, through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. He's been given to us in verse 5. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Again, it's not a hope that... The, the Browns are going to be really good this year. It's the hope that this is true. This is the fact. This is the confidence. And there are people who walk through life, and when they encounter a hard time or a challenging time, they say, where are you, God? Where did you go? I put my trust in you, and now where have you gone? You've let me down. And Paul's writing, no. 
Remember where you were and what God has saved you from. The wrath of God is not poured out on you. In fact, you experience a justification. And not only that, your relationship with God has been restored. What sin broke. And the spirit of the living God lives in you. He's been poured out into your hearts. You have God living with you. So hope will not disappoint. Your confidence in God will not go on, on, on unfulfilled. How do we have all this? I love verse 2 because this is how he writes all of this. In verse 2, he says this, Through him, through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith. Access. Hey, Anna, I need your help. Can you come up here and help me? I know you're really tired from camp. You're not going to help me? You can tell we didn't stage this before. Leah, would you come up and help me, please? You were just telling her, go, 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 go. You can do it. it there's nothing, I promise, there's nothing scary. Hmm. All right. Gwen, would you come up? Thanks, Gwen. Did you have fun at camp this week? Yeah, great. I won't tell mom and dad how many pixie sticks you ate, right? That's our secret? Yeah, okay. You're like, dude, you're not supposed to say anything about those. Um, what is this? What do you think that is? What's it look like? Kind of a key. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a key. Do you know what this key goes to? Okay, what's in my office that you really like to get each Sunday where you give me a hug for? Bubble gum. All right. I got a big bubble gum machine in my uh, uh, office. So this goes to the top of that machine and it opens the top. So if I gave you this key... Um, what would this key do for you? I would be able to get bubble gum without having to ask me. Right. You would be able to get bubble gum without having to ask me. That's right. You wouldn't have to give me any more hugs or high fives. You just have free reign of those bubble gums, right? This key goes to just a simple bubble gum machine. While it gives her access to that, she could go, she said it very well, like she could go anytime. And, and go get whenever she wanted, which is fine. You're, you know you're always welcome as long as mom and dad say you can, that you can give me a hug and have access. But if you had this key, you have no more qualifications. There's nothing else you have to do. All you have to do is use this key and to open it up. Then you can reach in there and grab a whole handful. Wouldn't that be cool? So when we think about this aspect of what Paul's writing, he's writing that we have access to what? We've been given access to God. Look at what verse two, through Christ, we have been, we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've been given a gift 
grace, God's grace, it's his unmerited favor that he's poured out to us. We don't do anything to deserve that. But he's given us access. He's given us the key to be able to stand in his presence, the almighty God, that we can rejoice that we can say, I have peace with God. He's not my enemy. I'm not his enemy. I'm in right standing with God. And it's not, notice what these verses say. Nowhere in verses 1 through 11 does it talk at all about what you have to do besides placing your faith. It's by believing. It's your faith. It's not by your works. So if I gave this key to Gwen and said, here, here's your key to all those gumballs. All she has to do is accept it and take it and she's off. I'm surprised you haven't run off stage yet. <laughs> but she would have full access. That's what we have by faith. Our works show our faith. But we stand before God. If you're his child, if you've accepted him as savior, today you have peace with God. You say, well, I had a bad thought this morning or I messed up this morning. Okay, repent from that, but you still have peace with God. We don't want to talk about that because as Paul's going to write in a, in, in a little bit, that, does that give us a license to sin that grace may abound? Surely not, but we stand here in grace. We stand having peace with God, being justified, and we need to grab hold of that and we need to hold that today. We have a great God who loves us immensely, who's given us access to the grace that we stand in today. Don't beat yourself up. Don't crucify yourself because you failed or messed up. Shall you continue to sin that grace may abound? That's a sermon to come, all right? That's one of those Sundays you probably want to miss, but today's a fun Sunday because you don't want to miss this. This is good news. You've been given grace. You don't deserve it, but God loves you and you have peace with him. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, it's through your faith, through your belief in him. Gwen, thanks. Do you want to keep that key or you want me to hold on to it? Mm. Thanks, sweetie. Let's give a hand to Gwen. Thank you, Gwendolyn. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the grace that we can now stand in realizing and looking at where we've been, Lord, lost, <laughs> deserving of your wrath because we, we were ungodly. We were full of unrighteousness. And yet, Lord, because of what your son did for us, because of his death, because as Paul even writes here, his blood was shed for us to justify us, to make us right, to cleanse us from all of our sins so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God poured out. Instead, he took all of God's wrath, your wrath, your righteous and just wrath that is deserving. Christ took that. You took our wrath that we deserve. And so, Lord, we... we we sit here, we stand here today having peace with you. We stand here in your grace that you've poured out to us. 
We're so undeserving. And yet sometimes in our own lives, in our own hearts, we, we hold ourselves back because we forget about the right standing in our relationship with you. When we place our faith and trust in you, our relationship, Lord, is restored. And Lord, one day that will be perfect. And Lord, there are still times in our sin where we, where we do stumble and fall and where that fellowship can be broken. But you've called us. You've delivered us in reconciliation, drawing us to yourself. And for that, Lord, we want to rejoice. We give you thanks. Knowing that whatever hardships we walk through isn't your wrath being poured out on us. Lord, it's because you're working in us. And we can rejoice in that because you're building our character and you're helping us to place our hope back in you. That confidence, that assurance, that it's you who we are in good standing with because of Christ. It's not because of what we've done. And so, Lord, we rejoice and we thank you today. And Lord, my prayer is that that would help us as we live today and this week ahead, that we would desire to live in such a way that would honor you, that would show the world around us that you are a great God, that you love them just as much as you love us, and that you want to, them to experience, you want the world to experience what we get to experience. And so may we grasp hold of this truth. May we truly live lives rejoicing in thankfulness because of where we stand today in the access that you've given us. Because of your grace, we have peace with you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hope you have a great week today. Happy Father's Day. And thanks for coming and worshiping with us today. Invite somebody to come with you next Sunday. All right. Lord bless you.